I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Kaisei Fu. Uh, I have to say, the Seattle expansion draft, from pretty much every angle, was a major disappointment. Uh, that's maybe a slight exaggeration. All right. Okay, it ended 20 minutes ago. Okay, so first of all, let's start, let's start with all the leaks. Why don't we talk about all the leaks, all right? Because by what time? Like 4 p.m., basically like 27 out of the 30 players were already out thanks to mostly Frank Saravalli. And before the show started at 8, every single pick was known. And it was like, oh man, that's a bit much, and that sucks, and that ruined literally all the suspense. But maybe at least there'll be some side deals, because some of these picks make no sense. John Quenville, Gavin Bayreuther, you're both UFAs. What about these other players that are obviously not the best ones available from their teams, like Carson Twarinski and Brandon Tanev? And who else? There was a Morgan Geeky. Like there were probably side deals from you to Curtis McDermott. So there's that's where the suspense is coming from. But as it turns out, no side deals. How many did Vegas make four years ago? Was it like ten? I think it was like ten. And the Kraken, uh, everyone's saying now they set the price too high, and they ended up with none. And I probably wouldn't mind that too much if some of those picks made a little bit more sense. We were about to start spitballing back and forth on what possible rationale could there be to select pending UFAs, Gavin Bayreuther and John Quenville from their respective teams, and we've come up with absolutely nothing. Yeah, this is like the thing. I kind of joked about it when I think I was, was I talking about the Sabres uh, just a few days ago? I was like, well, can we just uh, take a UFA, not do shit with them for two days, like during the uh, exclusive rights period, and then call the pick? Uh, Because that's, and then that was a joke, because why the hell would you do that? You pay $650 million in expansion fees to pl- you know, to become a team and then to pluck a player from each team, and you're going to go ahead and pick n- literally nobody? Um, it's just, like, you could have picked, like, I don't know, a somewhat promising 25-year-old from each of these teams, and instead, you decide to, like, uh, literally pick these, these UFAs. I don't understand. Um, if you wanted them that badly, I highly doubt they would have been priority re-signings from the teams that they were picked from. I mean, who's in a rush to re-sign Gavin Bayreuther? Um, so I think Seattle could have just picked them up, you know, on, what is it, July 28th, so in a week. Um, but instead, I, I just, I have no idea. Um, really, uh, as we're, like, first of all, I've got major beef with how this whole thing unfolded. Like, I feel like I wasted like two hours or how long was it in the end? It was two hours. Two hours just watching Almost. that thing because, um, on, on two levels, because yeah, A, we knew all the picks going into it, which, yeah, it did suck. You know, there was no suspense in terms of the picks. It would have been fun. Like, ooh, what are they going to take? You know, this whole – it was it was an underwhelming thing, you know, like especially like, you know, like big things like the Tarasenko and the Carey Price, obviously. Um, it was all kind of spoiled ahead of time. But the bigger one is that nobody said anything about the trades. And so, like, you know, nobody on the broadcast, like there was no clear protocol set out. Like, okay, we're going to announce this side deal when we call out the pick for that team, for example. Um, and so, I don't know, it just feels like I was led to assume that I was supposed to watch this whole goddamn thing because they're going to, like, release them in a in a flood at the end of the at, at the end of the program or something like that. And yet there was nothing. And, uh, yeah, this, this whole thing feels like kind of a dud. And overall, it just feels like the picks overall, and we'll get into them, um, seems like Ron Francis is, is, uh, is clowning quite a bit. Okay, uh, I see a tweet from Pierre Lebrun from about four what? minutes ago. It says... 
Any trade Seattle may have in the hopper will be finalized and announced after the trade freeze is lifted at 1 p.m. Eastern Time Thursday, which is tomorrow. And I suspect there will be a few over the coming days. I don't know if this means trades like, oh, yeah, they have a bunch of defensemen now. They're going to trade, I don't know, they're going to trade William Borgen to whoever, Dennis Chalowski to Winnipeg or whatever. Or if this actually is finalizing details of the side deals with, like, Columbus and Chicago about Bayreuther and Quenville. Um, oh, and here's Jay Fresh asking expansion draft consideration trades or post draft trades, and uh, no one's answered him yet. So hopefully there'll be some clarification soon because that has to be the only explanation is that Chicago and Columbus with Seattle are putting the finishing touches on those expansion draft consideration deals to take Gavin Bayreuther and John Quenville. That, that, that must that's be a bit. That's a bit weird, though, right? Like, you're finalizing the trade after Seattle plucked the player from you already? Well, in this case, can Chicago and Columbus just go, all right, never mind. If I'm not, we don't feel like finalizing this one and just walk away. Like, there's nothing that binds them to this. If they're indeed finalizing the details, what the hell does that mean? Um, So I, I suspect that if there are a few trades, I really think that they didn't pull anything off in terms of, uh, you know, pre-expansion side deals. It sure seems like, and I, I'm really convinced that if there were any, um, they would have they would have uh, released them as they were making the picks, or at the at the very least at the end of the program. Um, but then to wait till after the freeze, I really think you know you know like your Borgans and your whatnot, um, you know you trade those guys away. But I think the expansion picks it seems to be set because it doesn't make sense. Why are you finalizing a trade after like there's no going back at this point in terms of the picks? So how can you be finalizing details on a trade when Seattle's already made their pick? And now Chris Johnson is saying, it doesn't sound like Seattle Kraken have too much in the drawer for when the NHL's roster freeze lifts at 1 p.m. tomorrow. They'll be busy in the days slash weeks ahead, but only one or two moves expected right out of the gate. So oh, everything's man. really all over the place in terms of what the Kraken are doing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the actual you know, event and what it looked like, because uh, it was outdoors. Which the vibes were kind of off, but I'm, I'm definitely makes sense why you'd have uh, the event outdoors. Who was what was the name of the guy next to Dominic Moore? I don't remember his name. Do you? I have no idea because because he was doing such a terrible job from every angle. And and like okay, so oh, Kale Flurry, he's like, oh yeah, this guy's a forward, and then Dominic Moore's like, that's right, he's a right shot defenseman, and then he called Curtis McDermott a forward too. And Curtis McDermott's a defense. And then, of course, it was the whole Carolina Panthers thing, right? He was like, oh, now it's the <laughs> Carolina Panthers. And then, like, a couple picks later, when I assume he had realized he messed up, he was like, and from the Philadelphia team. And so he was just totally, completely unprepared that he, because he very obviously was, I don't know, probably about to say Eagles or 76ers. I don't know. He was like, and he, like, blanked on the name Flyers. And here is really, you only need two people to host this you couldn't find one next to go next to Dominic Moore who could get I understand like maybe making one mistake those were like three and a half blatant errors and man it just uh, it was pretty embarrassing for uh because that, that was also wasn't like the first ESPN uh NHL event that's really been on and they have this guy out of nowhere who doesn't appear to and then, and then he was like you know dunking on all the other teams too Kind of be like, oh yeah, the struggling New Jersey Devils or whatever. It was it's very awkward. 
Yeah, yeah, I looked him up. His name is Chris Fowler. He's a football guy uh, who's worked generally at ESPN. He does, like, college football. And so, kind of a weird casting decision there uh, on behalf of uh, ESPN. Like, you know, they they just got the rights. And so we're just starting to, uh, you know, build some broadcasts. Bit of a weird choice, putting a football guy in who, from what I could see, has no discernible hockey experience. Uh, <laughs> and then there you go. The football guy says Carolina Panthers. I mean, what more is there to say? So uh, that's a bit weird. Um, but uh, yeah, the whole thing was kind of underwhelming. And it was like, and it was, it was almost like as if they were acting as if nobody knew the picks. But like, you know, like what can you really expect at that point? Yes. But um, too. oh god. But but. But everybody knew the picks, and everybody knew that everybody knew the picks. It was everywhere. Um, they were, you know, like the graphics were up. Everybody had already made the graphics on Twitter and shit. Um, like, and then it was like, oh, who are they gonna pick? Nobody fucking knows. Uh, let's reveal the card or some shit like that. And like, come on, we all knew. We all knew four hours in advance. What are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, just made a lot of strange choices there. Huh? Because there was this. I feel like they didn't really dig into the time for the big reveal for like any of the picks. I feel like they, I feel like they obviously knew that everyone already knew the picks cause they'd been leaked, but they didn't really lean into it very much. Cause really there's no winning in that situation. Like we have an hour and a half event around revealing our team, but our team has been revealed. So this is basically just a massive waste of time, especially because there are no side deals to announce. So I really think this is just, you know, probably what else is new. The NHL botching a situation and, uh, you know, totally destroying the value of their their big event. Because I remember like four years ago, there were like some picks that were leaked, but it wasn't all of them. I know for sure. Like Alexi Yemelin came out like a couple hours before is one of the big ones I remember. But I know for sure that there were definitely some surprises here. Yeah, none. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of, all of them. And I I was thinking like, hmm. How could they have made this better? And I mean, you know what they could have done is just, I mean, I don't know if it would work with, you know, the uh, logistics that you want to like have players fly in or all these like, you know, special Kevin Week segments going all around the city and revealing the players, but like have the deadline to submit the list much closer to the actual event so that there is not as much time to, uh, you know, to, to have it leaked out. And of course, the other thing that would definitely work much better is to expand two teams at a time so that it's an actual draft and there's no way to uh to plan ahead but uh yeah. that's probably a while down the road mm-hmm. that's just yeah I, and another aspect well another solution you or would be the nhl kind of tightening it up in terms of uh like leaks i don't know exactly how they would do that um but it really seemed like from like you know there was like a source at every team uh who who leaked it to cerevelli or, or one of these other people that that uh you know got the scoop um and yeah it, it it just completely ruins the whole television event because everybody knows what's happening um add that to the fact that there were no side deals it's like why the hell am i even watching why why the hell did i watch to watch i don't know marshawn lynch say what do you say like the boy the boy, boy cali or some shit like that <laughs> yeah like uh, was that that might have been the most interesting that and like carolina panthers might have been the two most interesting points in the night um Oh, and uh, two most- when uh, when that guy who's not Dominic Moore, whose name I've forgotten again, was like, I'm standing next to Jamie Alexiak, the heaviest player in the NHL. And Jamie Alexiak <laughs> had like this big shit-eating smile on his face with the tooth missing. <laughs> and like, 
I'm not watching uh, 90 minutes of television to watch those three things. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> um, and, I'm, and I'm a big hockey fan. Let alone, I mean, if I'm just their average Joe, am I steak sticking around to watch this when I could just check Twitter four hours ago? No. Get the hell out of here. Uh, so, yeah, big botch. I mean, what else is new from the NHL? But, uh, yeah, they certainly could have done that whole thing better. Um, and, yeah, you, you, said it all, you said it best to kick off the show. It really just feels like a, a big disappointment entertainment-wise. Um, was a pretty big dud. Yeah, Cat Friendly just quote tweeted that previous Pierre LeBrun tweet that I mentioned and says, to clarify, these would be trades that Seattle has in place with other teams for players they drafted today and will now flip elsewhere. With regards to side trades made prior to the expansion draft, Seattle made none. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, it didn't make sense if they had any yeah, afterwards, but uh, you yeah. Know, here, you know, Seattle can salvage this somewhat. If they can find a team that's willing to give up a draft pick for the signing rights of Gavin Bayreuther and John Quenville, that's the only way. How much does that work? Or if they sign them themselves. Half a seventh round pick? Half of a seventh <laughs> round pick, I guess. Um, combined. Yeah, combined, they get a seventh round pick, maybe, but probably not. Because um, like, if they wanted to pick them and sign them right away, like they did with Alexiak and Adam Larson, that at least makes some sense. And if they do end up still signing them because they own their rights now for the next five or six days or so, then that at least makes some sense. But then it's weird that they would have picked them without having already had that contract in place. And it's even weirder if they lose them for nothing when there were not great players or great assets available from either team, but at least something that provided more than no value. And Penny UFAs, Gavin Bayreuther and John Quenville add nothing to your team there must there's gonna have to be some sort of explanation coming out soon maybe like a, a ron francis press conference is he about to talk to the media i think i don't know there there has to be something because nhl gms do stupid things all the time but this there's no logic from point a to point b on why you would make these two picks no no absolutely like just drafting ufas in an expansion draft like this without a deal in place i don't think makes much sense but maybe in terms of like a superstar maybe if you're i don't know uh a dougie hamilton or a gabriel landeskog and you really want to chase them but you want those that five day head start to make sense but for two absolute scrubs like this i don't understand it just doesn't make any sense and you're right um getting something is better than the potential of literally getting nothing for your expansion pick um like you know there were pieces that that were assets that you could flip Somebody would flip. Somebody would flip for, uh, with you for like I don't know a mid round pick. Why in the hell not? Uh, and I mean this alternative. I'm just come on. You can't like Gavin Bayreuther that much. You can't love. You can't love John Quenville that much. I don't understand. I, I it's just it's completely baffling. Um, and so yeah, now that we really see that there were no side deals, uh, I guess we can we can take a step back and and uh, kind of analyze this whole thing like. It sure seems like, you know, it's a combination. I think, uh, first of all, teams were wary. Obviously, after Vegas, completely fleeced them in 2017 um, with all those side deals. And that's that's where they did a lot of their damage, notably the Florida Panthers. Um, but it also seems like, you know, with all these rumors that we heard, like, what was it, a first and a third for an extra protection? Um, nobody's worth that. Nobody nobody that was uh, selected, um, barring maybe Mark Giordano, um, is even close to being worth that compared to the next next player that would have been selected. And so it sure seems like, you know, maybe Ron Francis, uh, it, it seems like he was pretty rigid on that off on that uh, on that ask. And when teams weren't able to meet it or didn't want to, he didn't budge. And here we are. They didn't really get to uh, exploit much in terms of side deals at all, actually. Yep. Um, so, yeah, let's... Okay, so do... Uh, we were talking about, like, maybe going through this, like, 
team by team. Let's start with Montreal, because uh, I think this was actually one of the first ones to leak. Kale Fleury. Uh, how many games did he play with his Canadians? Like 41 or so, I think. One goal, zero assists. Uh, I remember he almost scored on a breakaway in his first NHL game in October 2019. We're gonna miss him. Should should we should we serenade him out of town? What's that? What's one of those like sad goodbye songs? I don't know if you know any off the top uh, of your head. Don't the, the, you forget about you? me. <laughs> or like uh, the the Green Day song. Another Which turning one? point. A fork stuck in the road. Oh, Although, so. <laughs> I will remember you. Will you remember me? Anyway, what did you? Thank were, you, Kiel Flurry. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time, Kiel Flurry. And once I was confirmed a little later on that they were all sticking Hayden Flurry from the Ducks, it really felt <laughs> like Hayden Flurry was like, "Yeah, we'll take him because he's the best option." And Montreal. And we could take Brett Kulak, or we could take the somewhat worse, but a fair amount younger brother of the guy we already took. And why not? Yeah, it, it does give that vibes, doesn't it? Like, you know what? We're not going to take Carey Price. So, you know, we still got to get some sort of marketing boost. So let's take the brother instead. Um, how marketable is a pair of brothers, who none of whom are particularly the great? Sedins. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say... Uh, I wouldn't say very, barring uh, superstar status, which neither of these guys are. Um, but uh, yeah, on the Hab side of things, you know, it sucks. You lose a 22-year-old right-handed defenseman who was already playing in the NHL a bit. You know, obviously, he kind of got bumped out there this season. Um, but you were going to lose somebody. You were going to have to. And uh, yeah, this isn't so bad. It's not even the worst. It's not even the best defenseman available for Seattle. Um, didn't really you lose uh, any any high-skilled pieces. Like uh, Drew Wang, who, like, you know, obviously the uncertainty surrounding him. But, uh, you know, at worst, you put him on the LTIR. Uh, so it, it kind of seems like, you know, like they, they lost the Yemen last time around for nothing. Um, like, you know, without a side deal. And that was, like, the ultimate best-case scenario. Um, and this kind of feels, like, uh, pretty similar for Montreal. And, uh, you know, Cal- losing Cal Fleury certainly isn't bad for an expansion draft. Yeah. I mean, I got to admit, like, I was a little bit you know, more excited that they only lost Yemlin four years ago because I was really worried about them losing Charlotte Udon. I was like, no, why wouldn't you protect Charlotte Udon? Uh, <laughs> that's why I was relieved that they didn't take him. This time around, there was no one that I was really worried that, uh, that Seattle was going to take. I mean, obviously, you know, Price would have been a big deal, but I wasn't really nervous that that was going to happen. And, you know, just thinking about Montreal, the report was that before Price uh, volunteered to waive his no-movement clause, that... Bergevin was talking to Ron Francis about like a potential side deal in order to say, cause we were going to, you know, protect Carey price. And then I'd be like, all right, to lay off Jake Allen, what's it going to be? And the asking price was a first and third round pick. And Ron Francis didn't budge. And Ron Francis probably should be regretting the fact that he didn't lower that price. Say he lowered it to like, I don't know, a second and third round pick. Maybe Mark Bergeron would have been like, all right, fine, protected Carey Price, and then paid the second and third round pick for Seattle to lay off of Jake Allen. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Seattle, you know, gets Kale Fleury still, because assuming that, yeah, that would have been their pick, and also a couple of draft picks. And now instead, Mark Bergeron was like, all right, let me call your bluff, expose Carey Price, and uh, Ron Francis kind of, you know, 
kept his asking price too high. And I assume, I'm not as, of course, dialed into many of the other teams, but similar things probably happened all around the league. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think this is an isolated incident um, when it comes to that asking price was too high. Uh, and that's not really how you negotiate. Um, you know, first and a third, that's it. Don't call me otherwise. Um, because, you know, there are 30 other teams. And if a team is desperate, they'll find other ways to be creative uh, and maneuver, the, maneuver their way out of situations, which is what a lot of teams did. I mean, you know, the you have Minnesota with that Suter and Parise buyouts, which, you know, they might have done the Parise regardless, but who knows what they would have done um, with Suter if they could have protected an extra person um, for a bit cheaper. And uh, other people who come to mind, the Jason Dickinson trade, for example, um, the Jeremy McCann trade, things like that. It just seems like like teams were um, cons- would have maybe considered this ideal with Seattle um, originally, but then we're just priced out of it. And uh, I was saying a few days ago, like with every one of those trades that kind of uh, like skirts or circumvents those uh, expansion protection lists by getting rid of somebody that, that, that like that 11th guy, um, the big loser in every single one of those trades is really Seattle, right? Uh, and every time one of those happens, Ron Francis should have been kicking himself because, you know, it's because teams, I think more than anything, would love to just lose one player and then maybe a couple of draft picks, but not a first and a third. Or maybe a couple of draft picks because you know you look at the Dallas. Uh, you know you lose Dickinson and then uh, you lose what Jamie Alexiak as a UFA. Um, that that's a bit different, but but they still lost two players in a sense, right? Um, and I'm sure teams would have loved to just lose one. Um, but Seattle by pricing them out of this range seems like they encourage the other teams to trade within them, between themselves uh, and or pull like weird shit like the Habs did with Carey Price. Um, and I think that's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. Yeah, I was talking, uh, you know, when all those big trades happened almost a week ago, about how much more exciting it was the lead up to the trade freeze than four years ago with Vegas. And now I can see that it's because all those trades four years ago with Vegas were with the Golden Knights. And so we just didn't know about them yet leading into the trade freeze. And that's why there was barely any activity between the already established NHL teams. This time, with no one wanting to meet the Kraken's high price, they did end up trading with each other. And... Looking back like at the Vegas draft, no one at the time thought that the Golden Knights fleeced anyone in any of those deals, except maybe like Florida. Everyone at the time was like, what are the Panthers doing? But like even the Shea Theodore one, people were like, yeah, that sort of makes sense for the Ducks. They have some more established youngish defensemen that they wanted to hold on to. And like Minnesota with Alex Tuck and Eric Hall, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. They didn't want to lose Matt Dumba. Even though the Columbus one with William Carlson especially, it was like, oh, way to go, Columbus, getting out from under that David Clarkson deal. And so the fact that Seattle felt like they could, I don't know, waltz in and, and I guess probably think like, you know, set prices that were as high as the, I don't know if this makes sense, but like how, how well Vegas ended up doing in hindsight, Seattle thought they could do that in the present day. And, you know, they, they can't do that. And, it really felt like felt like Seattle was against making fair deals, which of course is you know a terrible spot to begin with. But like Vegas won all of those side deals after the fact, and Seattle just I don't know felt like they felt like they had to win them immediately, and that's why they ended up making none of them. And I think even saw Dom decision say something like, uh, "Vegas gained like fourteen wins above replacement." from the expansion draft consideration trace that they made. And Seattle, of course, has gained zero. Yeah, exactly. So um yeah, you can't you can't come out and expect to fleece everybody. Um and I think I think there's just 
something is better than nothing at the end of the day. Um, and they got nothing, <laughs> to put I'll it lightly. For a second. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Gord Miller is now contradicting Cap Friendly and saying, for those wondering, Seattle's side deals for the expansion draft, and there are apparently several, will be announced tomorrow after 1 p.m. when the NHL's trade-slash-signing freeze comes off. All right. So hopefully that's true, uh, both in terms of for, for Seattle fans, but also for, for NHL trade excitement. So I guess we can scratch the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Uh, potentially, oh, and <laughs> I, I can't. The NHL does not realize like what things the fans care about. Like they, Gary Bemman is probably in there thinking like, oh, fans don't care about side deals. That's just pure business stuff. And then here we have Cat Friendly being like, no side deals, and Gordon Miller being like, oh yeah, actually there are side deals, and Pierre LeBrun being like, oh, there are gonna be deals. No one knows what kind though, and the fact that so many of the most prominent voices are right now so off of the same page in terms of what kinds of trades have happened and are going to be announced and when they're going to be announced is absolutely Bush League. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's, it's it's something that the NHL suffers constantly from. It's just in terms of marketability standpoint. And they're just not transparent at all. Uh, and what you get with their rules, with their decisions, everything. And what you get is this. And this is probably the worst of it. Uh, it's just a hot mess. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. Nobody's know, nobody knows what to expect. And at the end of the day, it may may as well just be, it might, might be nothing at all, right, that we're waiting for or not waiting for. I can't even, I don't even know anymore. Um, and so, yeah, this is some bullshit. Uh, going back to my complaints earlier about the broadcast, I felt like I was waiting for something that I thought might happen, but in the end didn't. Um, it's the same. It's the same deal. Like, tell us what's going to go on, um, and, and stick to it. Don't pull this bullshit where even the, mo- the most insider of insiders don't know what the hell is going on. Um, and yeah, yeah, you, you, it's tough to talk about. Like, you know, like we don't know what to say because we don't know what's going to happen in ten hours. It's going to completely invalidate this podcast. So, yeah, it's pretty fucked. Yeah, the NH because knowing that Seattle took, like, say Curtis McDermott. And not knowing if there was a side deal involved or what the side deal looks like makes it absolutely impossible to evaluate that draft pick. And the fact we know there might be some side deals and we don't know which teams they apply to, assuming you know at least Columbus and Chicago would be two of them, it's pretty much impossible to make a judgment on like any one of these draft picks, except the ones we can fairly assume there was no side deal involved, like, like Tampa Bay, Toronto, a couple other ones, Calgary, but it's it's so because like how do you have the expansion draft TV event without not only announcing what the side deals are but not even acknowledging that there are some side deals involved that are going like they no one even mentioned the word trade and I I guess maybe it was more of like a, a an event like for the Kraken fans or whatever like here are your your the new players that you're going to be cheering for but I don't understand how you can just totally ignore side deals that apparently now happened. Just like pretend that they don't exist. It makes no sense. There, there's no reason to wait for post-trade freeze because the trades seem to be already done. Well, they are done because they made the picks. You can't, there's no backing out of it now. The league's not about to say no. The, the, the expansion draft is finished. Uh, and in terms of for the fans, well, don't you want to let them know of the exciting assets that they acquired in in yes. addition to the players? And we also got um, a fifth round pick. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like, I just, it's completely baffling. I don't fucking understand. Um, and 
big failure in the league because now everybody's just sitting around. Really, everybody, everybody in the hockey world is just kind of sitting around, looking around at each other while, is there side deals? Is there not? Do we roast the Kraken? Do we not yet? I don't know. Sucks. Uh, so, like, and Jay Fresh just tweeted, like, every NHL insider needs to be 100% clear about the distinction between deals made involving expansion draft considerations and deals made involving players picked in the expansion draft being traded to a new team. And that's 100% right. And, man, this just kind of... It constantly blows my mind how, like, so many people appear to just, you know, like, get confused about how the... I mean, like, I, I mean, specifically, like, insiders and people who write about hockey get confused about how the NHL runs things. Like, this reminds me kind of of when the NHL announced their draft lottery procedure last summer, the, like, two-stage thing, and, like, no one understood it, and everyone was constantly explaining it incorrectly or explaining it in a confusing way. And it's like this with the, like, side deals and and all these terminologies that people are using and not explaining what they actually mean. So may, you know, this might've been the absolute worst time to record uh, because we've spent a big chunk of this going. We, we don't understand what's going on. Yeah. And it's well, but I, I think in the end, the grievances that we're airing right now are completely legitimate. And I don't think they're about like, you know, regardless of whether we record today or tomorrow mm-hmm. past 1 PM, um, I, I still think like, even if I wasn't recording a podcast today, I'd still be going to sleep like, well, I don't know what the fuck to think about the Seattle draft. And that's completely on the lead. Okay. One minute ago from Greg Wyshynski, uh, this is a quote from Ron Francis teams weren't willing to make the mistakes they made last time on not being able to leverage the draft rules as Vegas did. I don't know if that quote would imply that there's no side deals and Cat Friendly was right and Gordon Miller was wrong, or if it's just, you know, a brief sentence. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's, okay, do you want to kind of put this side deal stuff to rest and try to, to scrape whatever meaning we can out of what we've witnessed today as possible and start talking about maybe what the Kraken team is actually going to look like? Yeah, sure. You know, and, and as a whole, my guess right now is that I think Gordon Miller may have made a, a bit of a vocabulary slip up. I think you might think, uh, you know, trades involving players selected in the expansion draft and maybe not side deals. At least, and, and if, if that's not true and if there were, in fact, side deals, I it will truly be one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. There's no reason for it whatsoever to not announce these the day of or at the time of the pick. Um, but yeah, I'm willing to move forward. Let's go. And if there are no side deals, then it's the stupidest thing ever that Ron Francis would choose Gavin Bayreuther and John Quenville. So either way, someone's royally screwed up. All right, let's go. Um, so let's look at this team. Um, assuming, well, yeah, I don't assume that even in those side deals, you're going to get many in terms of uh, NHL players that they'll be able to plug into the roster day one. Um, but uh, yeah, with a lot of these these confusing-ass picks here, um, you know, I think this probably this team probably makes the playoffs because the Pacific sucks so hard. Um, they picked a lot of they picked a lot of young guys. They picked a lot of young cheap guys. Um, and in terms of all those expensive risks that we were talking about, you know, Carey Price obviously chief among them, but like guys like JVR, um, who I had project, who I guessed that they might take, or even like Nino Niederreiter from the Hurricanes. Um, just off the top of my head, who else is there? Uh, I don't know. Tarasenko. Right, Tarasenko, of course. Um, none of those guys were taken. 
Um, and instead, they really went like they're, they went heavy on 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds um, on really cheap contracts. I don't know exactly what their cap hit is looking, um, but they went super cheap and super young. Yeah, I think in general, it makes sense to only take players who are making below or at what they're actually worth. And so, you know, shine away from the JVRs and Voraceks and Tarasenkos of the world. I can absolutely understand. Uh, and yet, they still took... I think they made the right choices in terms of somewhat expensive players. Mark Giordano, of course, everyone kind of saw that coming. And as for players making over $3 million on this team, Mark Giordano, Jordan Eberle, Yanni Gord, Jonas Donskoy... Uh, who's maybe a touch overpaid, and Brandon Tanev, who, yeah, that one's a head-scratcher. Uh, $3.5 million for the next four years. I have to say, uh, plus the three players who they signed in the window. Chris Dreger, $3.5 million for the next three years. I like that one. Jamie Alexiak, uh, he's pretty good. I don't hate that contract. Adam Larson, uh, I don't know, I'm not 4 by 4 uh, You know, I started this statement, and I was going to make a point about the fact that uh, – that all the players making over $3 million are on pretty fair deals and ended up with uh, most of them are except for like two or three. So, uh, so take from that. Yeah. So they signed a few guys. Uh huh. You know, that Alexia contract, man, he's like, he doesn't really do much offensively. Like he's a very solid defensive defenseman. Um, but 28 he's player in the NHL. <laughs> um, yeah. As Mr. Carolina Panthers would have, you know, uh, but uh, almost $5 million a year for five years. I don't know. seems a lot. Adam Larson, yeah, it's like it's Adam Larson here. Give him four years at $4 million. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because they really did go, it seems, very in terms of established people, established uh, players. They really went hard at the defenseman, eh? Um, whether it's Jordano, Alexiak, or Larson, or really any of these guys, or actually in general, they went with a lot of defensemen. It'll be interesting to see how many they flip. Um, because you can't fit everybody on there. Um, but they kind of did what Vegas did in that sense, you know. It seems like a, it really seems like a poor man's Vegas draft. I know we didn't love the Vegas draft when it happened, uh, but even but in retrospect, right now, uh, kind of seems like they're trying to emulate it minus the side deals. Uh, and I don't know. It remains to be seen how successful it is. But uh, I, I think that you know the, the return that they get potentially on these trades makes a big difference, obviously. But mm-hmm. really defense heavy, and I don't love the, I don't love these defensive contracts that they handed out to defensive defensemen. See, I I mean I first I really I like the Alexiak one. I mean I I don't like love it. I don't think it's going to be an albatross because he is very good. He's like a very good second pairing defenseman, and that's a fair price for it. I think the Adam Larson is one I'm like eh really I don't know kind of a traded for Taylor Hall pedigree or whatever. But anyway, I. I understand what you're saying, calling this like a poor man's Vegas draft, but looking at the Kraken depth chart right now, I don't really see it as a situation where like, oh yeah, they've got way too many defensemen and they're going to be desperate to get rid of them. Whereas uh, with Vegas, they definitely were because they had like 10 NHL quality defensemen. With Seattle right now, how many definitely NHL defensemen do they have? Mark Giordano, Jamie Alexiak, Adam Larson, Vince Dunn, Carson Soucy, Hayden Fleury, Jeremy Lozon. That's seven. And that's like a good amount to have for a regular team. And like the other four defensemen that they have, uh, William Borgen, how many NHL games does he have experience? I think it's like less than 20. Kale Fleury, he's played half a, half a season. Curtis McDermott, that's like a, a fringe NHL 
defenseman at best. Uh, Dennis Chalowski hasn't really established himself in the NHL either. So I honestly think that like this looks like a pretty reasonable depth chart to like go into a season with, to be totally honest. And I know you'd probably lose a couple of these guys on waivers, and I know they probably will end up trading at least one or two of them. But like I don't really see looking at the defensemen and much less so at the forwards because uh, they only have like 14 of them under team control uh, that there's like a, a surplus in any area. Yeah, I, I think, I guess maybe their philosophy was um, it, it, it's harder to acquire defensemen um, both in free agency and in the draft. And so let's get them in the expansion draft uh, and then kind of go shopping because they have what, I think almost $30 million in cap space to go shopping for the forwards because right now, their forwards, there's almost nothing. I mean, you look at the team in terms of its forwards, and they fucking suck. Um, like they're terrible. So I think that's their, that's that's probably their move at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, just up front, the forwards are very underwhelming. I mean, they took a lot of depth guys. It seems a lot of young guys. Obviously, as we said, they took a lot of twenty three year olds. Um, but Hardly, like, they're going to need to do, a, uh, I think, a bunch of shopping with the forwards. I think their goalies are probably set, barring any trades. Their defensemen, as you mentioned, it seems like they got, like, seven AHL guys and some fringe guys that, you know, they're willing to develop in the minors, potentially call up midway through the season. Um, yeah, I think the forwards is where we're going to go shopping in uh, July 28th. Yeah, I've, I've crafted some preliminary lines for this team. Uh, by the way, they have 14 forwards only under team control. Uh, which is, you know, the ones they drafted, minus John Quenville, because he's a UFA, and also plus Luke Henman, who was their first signee from however long ago that was, who's not an NHL player. So really, here's what you have. Uh, Cali Yarncroke, Yanni Gord, Jordan Eberle is your top line, which, by the way, apparently Yanni Gord is uh, injured. I don't remember what it is, but he might not be back to like, November. So this is, assuming everyone's healthy, Yarncroke, Gord, Eberle. Then Jonas Donskoy, Jared McCann, Mason Appleton. Third line, Brandon Tanev, Alexander True, and Tyler Pitlick. Fourth line, Carson Twarinski, Morgan Geeky, Nathan Bastian. With right now Luke Henman and Cole Lind as your extras. And literally no more forwards in the entire organization. Uh, so well, all we were saying before about like, oh, it'll probably be pretty easy for the Kraken to, you know, maybe even get into that third place spot in that terrible Pacific Division. Uh, this forward group does not inspire much confidence at all. So I, if we do see a situation, which we probably will, where they trade one of these defensemen, because they do have a fair amount of them who could play in the NHL, uh, I don't know if it's smarter to trade them for a draft pick uh, or to trade them for a forward. And this does feel a little bit like the crack in our, at least toying with the idea of doing a Shane Wright tank slash Connor Bedard 2023 tank uh, right off the get-go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this team reeks of absolutely sucking if they don't make any major renovations to the forward core, um, which, you know, I said shopping, but, like, how much can you really do at this point? Like, your top six is pretty bad, um, and your bottom six is downright awful. Obviously, you can kind of rebuild that, but, like, your top six to begin with is quite underwhelming. I mean, Cali Yarncroft at this point, you're going to need to get another first liner, and that's going to take... Uh, if you're going to replace him. And that's going to take out a significant chunk of your cap. Uh, and so, you know, despite all the, the discount dues that they got out of this expansion draft, um, at the end of the day, you still need to spend the money on the top line guys if you're going to have a competitive team. Um, and they're going to have to do that in free agency now. 
And well, who knows how possible that is. And so, yeah, but then again, it is the Pacific Division. So this team might just fucking downright suck. Uh, this team might downright suck and still make the playoffs because the rest of the division is terrible. Yes. Uh, so, that's also true. Right. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Do we want to... Okay, so I know... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the one of the expansion lists that we criticized the most a couple of days ago was Pittsburgh's, and they still managed to escape uh, by getting rid of a terrible Brandon Tanev contract. It was on their fourth line, signed for four more years, $3.5 million a year. You expose... Marcus Pedersen, Jason Zucker, Zach Aston Reese, and they decide to take Brandon Tanev off your books. So Pittsburgh got pretty lucky here. Unless I don't know, was there a side deal involved? I have no idea. I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I have no idea. Yeah. So what I was going to propose is that we take a look at some of these more confusing picks and we shred them right now on the spot. And then if some of them have side deals, well, so be it. But I, th- I, th- I don't think I don't think there will be that many side deals. Um, and so, yeah, let's start with the Tanev since you brought it up. Uh, what the fuck is going on? I have no idea what they're thinking. Um, this is a downright, like, to, to pick, you know, to, to go bargain bin and short-term on all of these guys and, and people who are going to be RFAs at the end of the contract, to pick this guy as a guy you splurge on is makes no sense. This is an Albatross contract. It was an Albatross from the day it was signed, like, two years ago. Uh, this guy stinks. He doesn't play higher than the fourth line. Third line, at the very best, if you're really desperate. And at $3.5 million, what the hell are you doing? Um, it's just completely baffling. And uh, yeah, with all, it's not even like there was no. It's not this. They did not take uh, Brandon Tanev from the Buffalo Sabers. They took him from a Pittsburgh team that completely botched their protection list. Uh, and yeah, they escaped extremely unscathed. And in fact, I would argue Pittsburgh escapes even better than they were before uh, because they are out from under this contract. And good for them. If Brandon Tanev were placed on waivers in the middle of this past season, there's no way anyone claims him, especially when Paul Byron slipped through, like, what was it, three times. Uh, so this is a terrible pick. Um, you know what else is a terrible pick? Is uh, Morgan Geeky. Not because I have anything against Morgan Geeky, but because you don't need a writer, and more importantly, Jake Bean were available, and everyone was talking about, oh, Ron Francis drafted Morgan Geeky when he was GM of the Hurricanes. I'm almost certain he also drafted Jake Bean, and now I guess he uh, isn't such a fan anymore. People were talking about Jake Bean, like, watch, the protecting Brady Shea instead of Jake Bean is a massive error of the Hurricanes. And Jake Bean could end up being, like, you know, Shea Theodore 2.0 uh, at absolute best, of course. And instead, Seattle decided they'd, uh, that they're, they're all right, and they'd rather take Morgan Geeky, who's uh, got a good motor, you know, a good energy guy, instead of the much higher ceiling offensive defenseman Jake Bean. And uh, looking at their... The makeup of their defense right now, they could definitely use another offensive defenseman in there. Yeah, I just, it's just, it's complete. This one's dumb. I don't understand. Um, there's from every angle, all right? You wanted a four, maybe you didn't want a defenseman. Maybe you plotted out your entire draft ahead of time and you're like, wow, we're at our capacity for good defensemen. Uh, we don't want any more good defensemen on our team. Um, Maybe you want to go forward. Well, Nino Niederreiter was sitting right there. And maybe you think, well, I don't want Nino Niederreiter on my team. He only has one year left on his contract. And, you know, he's not about to develop. He might not fit our contention window. Well, then trade his ass. Um, and I can guarantee you, you can get more, especially if you retain because you have so much sal- cap, uh, salary cap space. Um, you can get a shit ton for Nino Niederreiter, and I can guarantee you'll get an asset better than Morgan Geeky. Um, so from an asset management pros- uh, perspective, it makes no sense as well. And yeah, you're passing up on a guy who looks like he's going to be a regular top four guy in the NHL, uh, who's definitely on that development track. 
and offensive defenseman, the new age guy. What are we doing here? Why are you taking Morgan Geeky, who doesn't seem to flash any particular skills? You know, solid prospect, sure, but definitively better players on the board. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Did Ron Francis just get suddenly enamored with this guy? Doesn't make any sense, and you shouldn't let that cloud your judgment. And it sure seems like that's what happened. Carolina escapes unscathed. Well, maybe not unscathed, but certainly better off than they could have been. Uh, and yeah, it just it's another head scratcher. It's like it's really what are we doing here? Man, I'm so upset and that about Gord Miller using the term side deals to talk about Seattle trading players that they just drafted to other teams. I, I'm I'm pretty sure at this one that's what he was talking about. And a very mm-hmm. uh, so frustrating anyway. <sighs> what what are some other uh head scratching terrible picks that the Seattle Kraken made? Uh I don't think there was like that there was like a great amount of terrible picks. I just think like the few that were awful were so awful that it clouds the entire draft. And what the hell were they thinking? Sort of like Curtis McDermott. There's another one. You had Kale Clegg there, also a defenseman, much younger, significantly better. You had Blake Lozada, you had Austin Wagner, a couple of youngish bottom six forwards. Instead, you took uh, Punchy McPunchy Pants, uh, Curtis McDermott, who uh, is big and fights. And that's the uh, the end of our list. Yikes. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a head scratch. I understand LA, LA's uh, exposed roster sucked, but uh, you could have done better. Um, other one, I was just I was just saying, Winnipeg. Um, confusing not taking D- Dylan DeMello there and going with fucking Mason, Mason Appleton. Um, it sure seemed like an obvious slam dunk pick, didn't it? After, you know, Winnipeg did that weird thing protecting Logan Stanley. Like, uh, oh yeah, take the take the clearly the better player who would probably cost significant, like, you know, you could get assets for if you were to flip. Um, unless anyone's really clamoring for Mason Appleton on the trade market. This one doesn't make sense either at all from a value perspective or even really positionally. Uh, just Mason Appleton isn't very good. And uh, Dylan DeMello has been solid. Mason Appleton's okay. That one I don't think is that egregious, even though everyone was picking DeMello. What does make it weirder is that you could have taken Dylan DeMello instead of Adam Larson. And DeMello is, in my opinion, better and uh, cheaper than Adam Larson's $4 million AAV. And then uh, to fill that Mason Appleton slot, I don't know. You draft Tyler Benson from the Oilers or something like that. I don't know. It just felt like there was there was a lot of missed value in a lot of different parts of the uh, the Seattle expansion draft here. Um, and of course, this is all we're still working with the premise that there were no side deals. So hopefully, this doesn't become totally out of date. I was I was kind of weirded out by how they approached the goalie situation. I don't know. Like, it looks like they're planning to go into next season with Dreger and Vanacek as their tandem, and Joey Decord probably playing in the minors. And like a Dreger and Vanacek is like, okay, yeah, that could work and be a decent tandem. You know, it would have almost definitely been a better tandem is one that included Ben Bishop or Capo Kakinen. and that's why it's it's that's why it's weird to me. Um, and Obviously, you know, if you really like Jamie Alexiak, whatever. But then that goes into the other thing of, like, if you worked out a contract with these UFAs in this window, it still doesn't make sense to me why I wouldn't say, all right, we'll take someone else from your team and then sign you on July 28th uh, in the open market. Yep. Uh, maybe there's a rule that we don't know about from the NHL about that. I feel like um, there has but, to uh, be. You make an excellent point. 
I probably. I don't know. What's the rules? Yeah, the the Kraken can't sign UFAs that were just exposed to the expansion (laughs) draft. You rule out all of them, basically. Yeah, the more than half the league, but like 90% of free agents. Um, Yeah, you're right. You're right. You could have, maybe they're scared that some team will offer them something better on July 28th. but you know, and I guess in that sense, the uh, the fact that there's no UFA talking window this year kind of hurts every other team and benefits the or no, it who would it who would it hurt in this case? I don't even know. My brain hurts trying to think about it. Um, I think it hurts everyone except the Kraken. Okay, it hurts everyone else but the Kraken. Great. So in that case, that's even less reason to do this nonsense and sign them ahead of time. Um, so yeah, why didn't you just do that? I really don't know. And as for the goalie situation, like, yeah, that Kapanen one really sticks out to me. Um, both From both perspectives. Because A, the goalie's on your roster. You could have done better and Kapanen would have been an upgrade. And B, from an asset management passport, uh, perspective, if you wanted to trade away uh, Kapanen because you really want to stick with those three, you could have gotten a hell of a lot more, I think, for Kapanen than Carson Soucy. Um, so, or Soucy, I don't know how to pronounce that one. I think it's Soucy. Um, but, uh, okay, Carson Soucy. It's just from an asset, like, Soucy's fine. He's a fine expansion pick, all right? But Kapanen would have been a much better one because, you know, NHL goalie, goalie at, like, 24, 25, who's had significant experience and looked, you know, solid, um, that's worth quite a bit. And so, yeah, just head-scratcher after head-scratcher there. Um, and, yeah, the goalie situation, it is, it, look, it looks kind of shaky. You know, Dreger, yeah, solid contract, but just I don't, I don't even know. Just looking at like Minnesota and Washington, would you rather Carson Susi and Vitek Vanacek or Brendan Dillon and Capo Kakinen? Like it does, look, you got two, you know, left shot defensemen and Dillon and Susi who play similar styles, two goalies that are pretty good and about the same age, and it feels like they just went with the worst option in both cases. Yeah, I think so, uh, and. And there's no explanation for it. I don't know. They're just maybe their their talent evaluation's a bit off. Uh, you know, I just value wise, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, like uh, I don't get it. And yeah, I it's, you know, I'm trying to remember yeah. after the Vegas expansion draft, people were kind of talking about their draft in the same way we're talking about it now. And then of course they went on to you know be the big surprise, make the Stanley Cup final, whatever. I feel like we're about to see that maybe Vegas was something of a fluke and Seattle might just be, you know, what people actually had thought of as an expansion team being, which is near the bottom of the league for a while. Uh, Because especially looking at the forwards, I know we didn't necessarily see like William Carlson scoring 43 goals and like Eric Howla, I think had like 29 or whatever and everything gelled so perfectly well for that team. And it's like, okay, looking at, uh, at the Kraken, who has the chance to really explode in the same way that those players did? I see, well, we already know Eberle's good. Yanni Gord, Jared McCann. Could Don Scoy end up scoring 30 goals out of nowhere? Maybe. How about Mason Appleton? I really don't think so. Is Cole Lind a diamond in the rough who's ready to pop off? How about Carson Twarinski, everyone's favorite? I just, I don't see it happening. And I think... I think this team is going to be worse than maybe we uh, we were all projecting a couple of days ago. Yeah, I think uh, it's a combination of this was a pretty bad draft in terms of maximizing value. And uh, yeah, I think our expectations were uh, 
perhaps a bit overblown. But to be fair, there was a considerable amount of talent left on the like you know on the board. So I think I think I think Seattle just did a bad job. I think is a big part of it. Um, and maybe we can't expect the general managers to do the best. And I disagree. I think we should be able to because there's only thirty jo- thirty whatever thirty two of these jobs. We should be hiring the very best and not these numb nuts. Um, you know, out here drafting John Quenville. Um, so that's right. And I, I, I don't know what Ron Francis is doing. It seems like his, I think, I think a part of it is that he seems to like just overall in this whole draft, um, seems to value cap space a lot. And that's very understandable, you know, flat cap and everything. And obviously every team's, you know, looking, looking through the couch corners, looking for some cap space. Um, but maybe a bit too much, maybe at the cost of an actually good roster, um, and obviously you don't want to go out and get some albatrosses, but then again, he did with Brandon Tanev. Um, and I feel like maybe he was scared off by some bigger contracts that are value, but just happen to be bigger because they're better players. Um, and that's what I wonder. I think, you know, it, it, it'll be, it'll be definitely interesting to see how he weaponizes this cap space because in order to make this work, he's definitely going to have to, because that's what he seems to have really leaned on, uh, with his whole draft. I could see the Kraken maybe ending up in the Shane Wright sweepstakes, but having thought about it a little more, I don't think they're trying to. I think they're really like, yeah, Drew Vanacek, this is our great, uh, our great tandem. But especially looking at the defense, especially how they so intently went out and targeted and got Alexiak and Adam Larson, who are both 28 years old, and you know Jordano, Vince Dunn. This really feels Carson Susie feels like. A team that's like looking at the defense core, like, oh yeah, we constructed it because we want to succeed immediately, even though the forward group does not give up that same energy at all. Yeah, it feels like an unintentionally bad team if it does end up being so, more than an outright tank. Um, and if it was an outright tank, there would have been better ways to do it for sure. Uh, better ways to go about it, picking players and then flipping them for assets for the future. Uh, def- that was definitely the way to go. This way, it's like, uh, you know, this is. It's just questionable. Leaving the forward that bare bones, you know, some nice pieces, obviously, but it is quite empty. And, it, and it, like, you know, this is a team that I don't know how much they're going to spend in free agency, how many players they're going to get, and on what quality. But it seems like there's going to be very little depth up front, especially among the top guys, because, you know, there's just the players aren't very good um, because they made some weird decisions. And it just doesn't feel like maybe they picked 30, 30, 30 players. Um, especially when you take into account Quenville and Bayreuther, uh, I don't know. It seems like they really kind of whiffed, got some nobodies, and obviously that's inevitable in an expansion draft. But yeah, it does feel a bit disappointing for Seattle. Yeah. All right. So it's been like 54 minutes of this. Before we get into our uh, NHL entry draft final preview uh, slash cramming session, it is time to shout out Luke Prokop. The first openly gay player signed to an NHL contract in history. I was at work, sadly, when I saw this great news, as I've been, uh, you know, for many uh, recent NHL news pieces. And I was, I was, because, so what I read about it was basically Luke Prokop, like, he was in his car. He called, I think, like, a Nashville front office or whatever to tell them. And basically, they were like, I imagine David Poyle being like, uh, Oh, we support you, son, or whatever. And Luke Prokop basically, like, hanging up. I don't remember if he said it like this or if this was someone else. And, like, you know, putting on his shades and, like, turning up the radio and driving down the highway like a badass. Like, yeah, 
making history. And I'm pretty sure he's actually because he was drafted like just in the most recent draft in the third round uh, pick of Nashville. And that was our draft. So this guy is 19. He's our age. And here he is, you know, uh, going down in the history books. All right. Awesome. Um, and uh, the courage to come out and do this, uh, you know, first one. That's pretty fucking insane. And so, uh, yeah, congrats to him. Very fucking cool. And uh, I mean, I'm surprised it took so fucking long, but then against the NHL. So what'd you expect? But uh, a very important first step. Mm-hmm. And I also want to uh, congratulate anyone for not spreading any homophobic replies to anything. Because I, I, of course, don't go out looking for that. But oftentimes... It ends up finding my finding its way onto my timeline, and I feel like people have moved past just like quote tweeting homophobes to dunk on them, which is I think a very positive step to just you know deplatform anyone who just has idiotic and bigoted things to say. Yeah, absolutely. The, the best way is to just ignore them. Don't give them that platform um, because when you do quote see stuff, um, even if you are dunking on them, you are giving them your platform, right? Um, so yeah, take that away. Definitely the best way to. Uh, you know, kind of shut that shit down and to really, uh, yeah, if you're ignored, it doesn't feel like their voice is being heard. Let's, uh, let's get the shit out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this guy is uh, a defenseman. He was signed to his entry-level contract uh, a few months ago. Yeah, and, and back in December, he signed it with Nashville. And uh, he's still in junior, the Calgary Hitman. And it's probably, hopefully, not too long before he uh, ends up in the AHL, potentially next season with Mo- the Milwaukee Admirals, and then maybe down the line, not long after that, he'll be making his NHL debut with uh, with Nashville, and that'll definitely be a big day. Oh yeah, that'll be exciting. Okay, so no, uh, let's move to the cramming session, courtesy of uh, the Athletics mock draft. Um, yeah, it's it, it, unbelievably close, isn't it? Two days from now. Um, and it feels like, it feels like nobody's ready. Does it feel like anybody's ready for this draft? It doesn't, sure doesn't feel like it. I've known this little about the NHL draft this close to it in literally nine years, since I was 10 years old. I know so little. Uh, so just to recap everyone, this was two episodes ago at this point. Uh, we started giving away a free athletic content that's normally behind the paywall uh, without their permission, of course, by reading out, you know, their <laughs> most recent mock draft from July 8, 2021. Uh, this is, it went Buffalo Owen Power. And I was thinking about Owen Bauer, how weird it is that everyone seems like, oh yeah, he'll be the first pick. But like so many prospect people still have him like ranked like outside their top five and stuff. But everyone knows he's going first overall anyway. Anyway, and Seattle, Matthew Beniers, Anaheim, Dylan Gunther, New Jersey, Luke Hughes, Columbus, Simon Edvinson, uh, who, if I recall correctly, was the first player on this list that you had never heard of. Detroit, Mason McTavish, then Kent Johnson, Brant Clark, William Eklund, Chaz Lucius. Uh, that That's the top 10. We also made fun of the fact that this Mark Lazarus paragraph about Matthew Coronado teaches us nothing about Matthew Coronado. And uh, I don't even remember who Matthew Coronado is. Uh, do you? I remember absolutely nothing about him. Do you remember anything Ooh. about any of those top 10 players? Uh, very little aside from Chaz Lucius, who has an excellent name. Um, but, uh, you know, Matthew Coronado, I've never, I've never even heard of that name before. Um, is that even a real person? Remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Okay. All right. Um, do you, anything of note on the top 10 or the top 11? 
Now we like to covered them. We covered them already. So if you want to hear very what extensively of them two episodes ago, then uh, go ahead and listen to that one. We're picking up right where we left off. Calgary, they have taken uh, Cole Stillinger. This is Haley Salvian's pick. Uh, who here's something that she says about Cole Sillinger. Um, oh, wait, no, this is a, uh, that's a quote from a source. All Sillinger ever does, wherever he goes, is score and play a reliable two-way game, which sounds like a very appealing player, I do have to say. And it says, if he can translate that style to the NHL level, it's hard not to feel keen about him. All right, I'm feeling keen about him right now. Um, yeah, dude, those are two traits uh, that, oh, you know, you could score. You could play defense. Um, but, you know, so that makes for a solid, perhaps a top six winger, right? Um, is he a winger or a such center? a simple description. He's a center. Yeah, truly. Not much to work on here. Um, but uh, upside, I'm starting to think. <laughs> I'm, I'm remembering. I'm constantly going like, all right, let me look up another scouting report besides this minor paragraph on the athletic. Maybe that's a sign we should have picked a different site. Um, it's okay. They give us, they give us, they give us gems like the Lazarus paragraph. So uh, uh, you know, okay, we can hope uh, from, at least once today. From last word on sports, uh, here are a couple excerpts. Cylinder skating has improved this season, but is still a bit of a work in progress. Here's another one. Cylinder is a pure sniper. He might be the best shooter in this draft class. Here's another one that kind of contradicts what Heli Salvian wrote. Cylinder also needs work in his own end of the ice. He can become too focused on the puck away from the play, losing his man and getting out of position. So uh, is Cole Cylinder a good defensive forward? The jury's still out on that one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows. (laughs) This is why you don't cram two nights before the test. Because I would have, last year I went to so many different sites, compared opinions from different people, maybe even watched a little tape and formed my own opinion. Now I have two tabs open. One of them saying Cylinder plays a reliable two-way game, and the other one saying uh, he needs to work on it. So um, I guess he's like average defensively. <laughs> cool. Um, that's that's great to know that this this prospect is average defensively. Sure to put that in my mental handbook or notebook or whatever. Um, but uh, I mean, if he's got that elite shot, if he's the best shooter in the class, you know, I keep going on about what's your thing, right? Um, what are you, what are you good at? Um, well, if it's shooting, well, uh, sounds like an intriguing prospect to me. Uh, and, uh, at that point, well, we can always work on your defensive game. And if you have to be average, good for you, Cole Sillinger. Mm-hmm. Next one, Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, this paragraph written by Charlie O'Connor and they took Fedor Svechkov. Uh, here's what, uh, Charlie O'Connor wrote. All things considered, I do think the Flyers would like to address their organizational depth at center in this draft. Which is why Sillinger going one pick before them in this mock is tough. Uh, what else did he say? Uh, let's go Svechkov, Svechkov here. A center and a riser on draft boards. He fits the bill as the kind of two-way player that flyer scouts tend to like. And his numbers at, as an 18-year-old in the VHL amongst men proves that he's not lacking offensive skill either. All right. That's fun. Um, so this guy, well, give me a second while I... I'm on uh, Corey something. Pronman's. Uh, yeah. Oh, ahead. yeah. Read what Corey Pronman said. I'm trying to. I'm trying to find the entry. Okay, while you find it, uh, I'm yeah, still on last word on sports. Uh, they say that Svechkov is one of the best defensive forwards in this draft. His game is incredibly advanced for a teenager. Oh, well, that's pretty nice. 
Uh, and here's something else from the offensive game paragraph. Svechkov could use a bit more patience in the offensive end. He will shoot the puck from anywhere, often taking shots from distance and bad angles. His wrist shot is decent, but could use some more power. Uh, Svechkov's skating is very hit and miss. He has a good first step and a nice long stride. So this seems like the type of player who, at very least, is going to end up being like a, a defensive specialist. Yeah, so I've got Pronman's article right now, so some extra free content for everybody um, that we're kind of pirating. Uh, so uh, let's see. So Svechkov is very skilled. He has a bunch of confidence, or if you want to put stock into that, um, and, and creativity as a puck handler. Uh, and off the puck, he's physical, responsible defensively, uh, and he killed penalties in the VHL. Uh, and yeah, so and the, and the bit on skating here kind of reflects what he said earlier. It's fine. Um, but it lacks quick twitch. Um, and so that's a bit of a concern. And here, Promen projects him as a middle six NHL center. And so I personally, with that projected in mind and the questions about his skating and his ability and his burst, maybe lay off the guy. I don't know what pick we're at. We're at 14 now, I think. Um, yeah. Maybe that's a bit high for this guy. Yeah, I'm very glad you inserted your own opinion there because that was dangerously close to turning into we're just reading things to each other. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would tend to agree with you about, about Svechkov, the guys who, you know, obviously those safe picks, sure, nice. Maybe it'll go higher than normal in a in a weak draft like this. But I'd probably wait till like the later teens to take a guy with maybe not so much, uh, so much of a, an offensive ceiling. All right, so uh, next up we have, let's see, who do we have? Fabian oh, Liesel. I am lost. <laughs> I'm lost in the mock drafts. Uh, Fabian oh, Liesel. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hmm, what can I read about this? Uh, so it says the Stars can benefit from injecting some forward talent into their pipeline. So from what I know about this without even reading him is he is kind of a, a flashy offensive winger. Um, it says the Stars have high hopes for both of both Delandria and Riley Damiani. Let's not talk about Ty Delandria and Riley Damiani for the Fabian Liesel paragraph. Thanks, Sad Yusuf. Uh, Liesel <laughs> is an intriguing offensive talent, starting with his supreme skating abilities and relentlessness. He already has a knack for getting to the tough areas and isn't afraid to get dirty. He's not imposing in stature, but makes up for that in tenacity. What are your thoughts about this description? Uh, all right, so it sure seems like, you know, I, as I said earlier, nobody's really ready for this draft. And the amount of, uh, the amount of space and words that are contribute that are dedicated to other players that are not the draftee <laughs> yeah. in, in not just this one, but other, like a number of these entries makes me think that we're not the only ones a bit lost. Um, but you know, fair enough. Uh, so these are, I mean, what, what jumps out just beat writers. So like that, cause like. The draft is none of these people's strong suit. So I would have probably much preferred if they went with, you know, draft experts like Corey Promen and Scott Wheeler for this, which I'm pretty sure they did make their own expansion drafts, not expansion drafts, their own mock drafts too. But this one that we, for some reason, picked, uh, I guess that I, for some reason, picked, is uh, with beat writers writing these paragraphs and talking a decent amount about players that are already on uh, on their teams. All right, so listen listen to the prospect, people, is the moral of this segment. Uh, and, yeah, what jumps out at me is uh, supreme skating abilities, which, I mean, is always, uh, is always a big thing. I'm big on skating in terms of prioritizing it because your people, your skaters, need to move 
uh, especially in the new AJHL, getting faster and faster. And you got to leave those traffic cones back in the later parts of the draft. Can't draft that anywhere on the ice at this point. Doesn't make sense. They'll get left in the dust. And so, you know, elite skaters can punish those, uh, can punish those scrubs. And so, sounds like a solid pick. If your skating's your thing, then please bring a bit of poetry for everybody. Oh, wow. Good work. Very nice rhymes. Um, I'll look in at uh, Last Word on Sports, which is, looks like the thing that I'm... That is giving me a significant amount more information than this athletic mock draft. Uh, talking about how Fabian Liesel has a, a pretty solid offensive game and an advanced defensive game as well, and apparently projects as a possible first-line winger in the NHL. I'm always kind of wary of those like projecting to you know a certain part of the lineup because, I mean, Cal Yarncroke's a first-line winger right now for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, but uh, yeah, this does seem like the type of guy that I would prefer to a Fedor Svechkov, who's kind of, you know, a defensive specialist, perhaps. This guy who uh, has a higher offensive ceiling. All right, moving on. We're going to Brennan Othman, left winger, who, uh, let's see, what, what do we have here from from our, our little mock draft here? So, Rick Carpignello. Oh, God, this is maybe the worst paragraph so far. <laughs> Okay, here's what it says. Here's what it says. The Rangers. The, okay, this is turning into like oh. prospect. This is, oh my god! I just finished reading it. Okay. okay, this is turning into more like making fun of the athletic uh, than uh, than actually learning about these prospects. Here's the paragraph by Rick Carpinello, Carpinello about a uh, Flint Firebirds left winger Brendan Othman. The Rangers are overstocked on defense and heavy on skill-laden forwards they've accumulated over the last four years. So a forward who plays a hard game, like last year's second-rounder Will Cooley, would be ideal. However, I think there's a better than good chance the Rangers will be the pick before the draft in a package to fill a need. You what, what have you learned? Any player, any player, and kept that exact paragraph and nothing would have changed. Uh, uh, what do you know about Brendan, Brendan Othman, Alex? Aside from his name, we know not. We have Brendan Othman, left winger, Flint. Um, <laughs> that's that's it. That's that's all we've learned. Man, <laughs> should we should we have saved our Matthew Coronado has no traits bit for Brendan Othman has no traits. I'm thinking maybe he has no traits. Somehow we found someone with fewer <laughs> traits than Matthew Coronado. Oh my god. There's not even a mention in the paragraph that's supposed to be all about him. So like this this is his name is truly replaceable. Like as you said, there's nothing about this guy. Um so I you know, do we he could be completely made up for all we know. Um Hal Othman's you know, I've never seen that last name before. So uh yeah, sure okay, so let's let's look at other sites. Once what again, I've reverted to last word on sports. Brennan Othman uh, has a bit of a clunky stride, which robs him of both speed and acceleration. Uh, that's kind of a red flag. <laughs> Othman has an outstanding arsenal of shots. It is amongst the best in this draft class. His wrist shot and snapshot are both powerful and accurate. Othman's defensive game is good, but there is still some room for improvement. He's an aggressive, physical player willing to battle in all three zones. Uh, yeah, this doesn't seem like, uh, this does kind of seem like the type of guy you wouldn't mention in a paragraph about him. 
obviously, <laughs> yeah, this... this is this is very early, and we I once I mean very early uh, uh, judgments we're jumping to here. But when you're cramming for a test like we are, you kind of have to uh, you know be brief. And in my brief studying of Brennan Othman, uh, I'm not too intrigued by him. Yeah, no, there's a uh, the skating's definitely a red flag. And yeah, this this seems like a, a very vanilla pick for whoever takes it. Well, you know, the goal scoring is always nice. But uh the skating, that's definitely a red flag. Um development wise, you definitely wanna like make sure you have a good skating coach in there. Because if from what you said, you know, clunky stride. Um Sounds like that's something that might be able to be coached on. You can't really coach the goal scoring so much. And so in that sense, not a, I don't think it would be a terrible pick. Um, but uh, yeah, nothing nothing much a note here about Brennan Othman, aside from pretty good at shooting. Uh, that kind of makes him stand out. And then the skating drawback is obviously a red flag. The 17th pick in this athletic mock draft is Jesper Wallstead, who I think we did mention a little bit uh, like a week and a half ago. I think he should go higher than 17. You probably will. I don't see him falling past Chicago, who's picking uh, 12, but actually 11. Uh, and it says in this little paragraph from my Jeremy Rutherford that even though the Blues do have some pretty good goalie prospects like uh, Joel Hofer and Colton Ellis, Wallstead is too good to pass up. And I've seen a lot of prospect people um, rank him like even in their, their top five going, this is as close as you can get to like a slam dunk elite starting goalie. Well, shit, top five. Damn, hello. Um, that's pretty intense. So yeah, I, I think I mentioned last week when we said, uh, kind of tough. We will at least not, maybe not tough, but we really don't see often in terms of, uh, evaluating goalie prospects. Well, what traits are we even looking for? Uh, this paragraph, I must say, certainly does not help one bit. Um, but I, I, I have a Proudman's article here and he talks about, uh, what really sets Wallstead apart is his, uh, you know, his puck tracking ability and his, uh, quote, sense. Um, in, in terms of his ability to, you know, read the play and adjust to it without, you know, flailing around up there. And so that's, and he has, it doesn't seem like he's the most athletic guy, but it seems like, you know, hockey sense wise, technique wise, he's got it down pretty well. And that's what really makes him that elite goalie prospect. Next up is uh, Winnipeg Jets drafting Carson Lambos. Uh, let's see if uh, I want. You know what? I'm interested in uh, going back through all these paragraphs and seeing if the beat writer mentions the player they're drafting first or any other player first. Um, <laughs> because this one first mentions Colbert Fetty before it mentions Carson Lambos. Winnipeg would be delighted if an elite forward fell to them as Colbert Fetty did in 2020. Uh, with the board breaking in a more straightforward fashion, Winnipeg Ice defenseman Carson Lambos is good value at 17th overall. Uh, from the little I know about Carson Lambos, he started the year as like a potential top 10 pick and kind of fell off, had some injury issues. Yeah, he, a medical issue ended Lambos' season early. But as long as he's in fine physical form, the Winnipeg product has enough all-around tools to help his hometown team build its blue line of the future. And this does seem potentially like the kind of guy who uh, could end up being a steal if teams are scared off by uh, whatever medical issue he was dealing with. And he ends up, you know, meeting that potential anyway, kind of like it's starting to look like uh Hendrix LaPierre from last year will end up doing cause he's back on the right track. Yeah. And they talk about puck moving defensemen. Uh, whenever I hear that, or, you know, who's, who's good at skating. Whenever I hear that, my ears always perk up because that's, you know, that's the kind of guy who you only really find in the first round. 
um, typically because they're highly coveted. Um, and if there's any reason, if there's no reason, if these medicals are clear, um, there's no reason why you should be uh, following much further than that. Um, and by the way, I checked real quick. Um, well, we're looking at a streak of right now, I think five straight picks uh, going back to, oh, wait, never mind, even further back. So all the way back to Cole Sillinger before we get to a pick. Wow. Um, all <laughs> where the first player mentioned was the player that was actually drafted. So uh, good work, Athletic. Well, you know, good work. All right. I'm going back to the beginning. Let's do this right now. All right. Owen Power, he was mentioned first. Beniers as well. Uh, Anaheim. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look like he he didn't say Gunther's name till like over halfway through the article, but Gunther was the first name he said. Luke Hughes, yeah. Um, the Columbus pick mentioned Matthew Berniers before it mentioned Edvinson. I don't know if we're counting that one. I guess so. Of course we're counting. Uh, it looks yeah. like looks like uh the trend is that the early picks the the writers did focus on the players, and then you got to a point where like even these beat writers barely do anything. Uh, about these players and it pretty much starts right after the top 10 with the Matthew Coronado thing starting talking about Jesper Wallstead and Drew Camesso and Arvid Soderblom before mentioning <laughs> Matthew Coronado uh, and then yeah Sillinger that was the first one mentioned there and then yeah Svechkov they mentioned Sillinger first as you said it's like what we're at like uh, one two three four five of the last five and six of the last seven, a different player mentioned first. Let's see if the streak continues next time. It, it doesn't. Uh, Nashville here is taking Francesco Pinelli, or I guess that's Francesco Pinelli center Kitchener Rangers. The Predators began incorporating younger players into their lineup this season, which places greater importance on finding prospects who can contribute sooner than later. Pinelli, who had 41 points in 59 OHL games in, 2019-20 held his own against professionals in Slovenia this season and has top six potential. What have you learned about right. Francesco Pinelli? He's got top six potential. That's the only thing that really kind of stuck. Um, let's see. What, what did you? What was the site you said? Last word on hockey? Was the? Uh, it's the site I'm looking at. You can look at the, the, the WOS part. Francesco Pinelli, and they have pretty comprehensive uh, uh, reports. I cannot speak at all to how accurate they are. But if they are accurate, then they are extremely thorough. That there, of course, right. is an off chance that the writers are making everything up. <laughs> yeah, this is what you have. This is this is truly like a cram session, as if as if I was doing my as if I was studying for like a chemistry exam for tomorrow. Um, questionable online sources. No need for a cross reference. That's not in the books. Um, <laughs> But yeah, last word on hockey. They talk about Pinelli. He's a strong skater um, with his ability to, uh, you know, he's got top, he's got very good top end speed. First step, long stride. Hell yeah, let's do that. Um, so that's that's definitely a plus. Um, his his offensive game is quote good all around, which um, sure. Now that makes the question: Well, what does he what does he really do for me? Um, is he a great playmaker? Is he a great shooter? Doesn't seem like he's much of anything. Well, yes, he's a good passer. He's an cool. excellent passer and has very good vision. He reads the play well and can move laterally to create a passing lane. Down a little more, says Pinelli's a solid defensive player. Uh, and at the bottom of all these pages, they have uh, highlight reels from all these players. So why don't we click on this and uh, put the put our eye test to the test because we know at least <laughs> this is going to be real. 
oh, this is a five-minute video. I do not have time for all of this. <laughs> oh, and someone's narrating no, over the whole thing, too. Oh, this, <laughs> I don't have time for this. This is a terrible time to start watching this video I was in the middle of recording. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I'll just, like, just shut up and, like, nod for five seconds and five seconds of dead air while we watch a Francesco Pinelli highlight reel. Anyway. Moving on. You know, I feel like... I feel like... <laughs> Maybe, maybe we are the like the best source of NHL draft knowledge. Like we're probably the best place to go for anyone who needs to learn about the NHL draft. I think it's us. I think we're proving undoubtedly. I mean, it beats going to the Athletic and reading nothing about uh, Mr. Othman, Brennan Othman, who we're not completely entirely convinced exists, according to that paragraph. So. You know, at least we sum it down for you and, and give you an audio recap of this paywalled content. Yeah, maybe you we're free. Think of this. That's our plus. Think of it. Yeah, yeah, we're free, first of all. So you better not complain. Uh, think of this as uh, instead of being like uh, a, a place to learn about the draft, you're watch or I guess you're not watching. You're listening to two people doing their best to learn about the draft as quickly as possible. So really, this is more of an art piece than a than an informational <laughs> thing. Yeah. Right. I was just about to ask, um, what what does what does the listener get out of listening uh, to this segment? And it's mm-hmm. truly an understanding of how people learn about the draft, not actually learning about the draft themselves. Exactly, uh, and not just understand the draft, but like really on a deadline, on a very tight deadline. Um, and at that point, you really start to question, well, do I really need this? But then you have to bring in the devil, you know, it's art. So, you know, what's the point of standing in front of a piece of art in a museum just to look at it? And we know you're here just to listen to it. Um, so if you're here, shout out. Here's what Daniel Nugent Bowman says about the Oilers mock draft pick. The Oilers have some fine goalie prospects in Stuart Skinner, Ilya Konovalov, and Olivier Rodrigue but none of them have the same elite upside as Kosa. That's Sebastian Kosa, the pick. Uh, the organization will be getting a much-needed goaltender of the future who can turn pro next fall because of his late birth date. Uh, I've got to say, if the Oilers get Sebastian Kosa, that probably is a nice pick, uh, especially considering, you know, they just signed Mike Smith to a two-year extension. He's going to be... Uh, did, you, did you see this? They signed him to two two million dollars a year. And he's he's 39 right now. Hilarious. He just got like two fifth place votes. Uh, so, I mean, if Sebastian Kosa can be ready to jump in by the time Mike Smith's contract is done and Connor McDavid is... How old will he be? He'll be like 26, 27. Uh, you know, still in his prime because he's McDavid. Um, so, I do think that would be... a a pretty nice pick for the Oilers, though, because they haven't had a, a good goalie who's uh, also younger than 39 in a very long time. Yeah. I mean, when was it like a lot that, that one good season Cam Talbot had before he yeah. kind of burnt out? Um, that's it, eh? And it's been a long time since then. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think he'll be here, though. I don't think he'll be available. Uh, a guy like uh, who seems like we talked about, there are two real goalies that seem to be really kind of locked in the first round, and I don't think. Uh, either of them are going to fall all the way down to 20, uh, much to the Oilers' chagrin, because, yeah, this is a team that needs goaltending. Uh, any sort of secure thing at goaltending would be wonderful for them because, you know, who are they running out right now? Uh, you know, the rejuvenated, and quotation marks, Mike Smith and, uh, you know, fucking Miko Koskinen on that contract. So, 
you know, I, I'm sure this is the dream scenario for the Oilers, but uh, I doubt it'll happen. Yeah. Next up, Corson Kuhlemans to Boston. Uh, the Bruins secure size, offensive creativity, and an always valuable right shot on defense with Corson Kuhlemans, uh, who, if he did make the Bruins, I'm sure would get extremely confused with Carson Kuhlman, who is also <laughs> on the Bruins. That's hilarious. It is pretty hilarious, isn't it? Uh, so, <laughs> what trace does this defenseman have, according to uh, Fluto Shinzawa? Um, he could be a future partner for Mason Laurie. Uh, he he scored one goal and seven assists for Canada at the U18s. Those are some traits. Corson Kuhlman's. Are you in the process of looking up another scouting report? Yeah, I've got Corey Proman up here. Uh, he says he's a, quote, complete defenseman. As a right shot blue liner, he's mobile. He's, quote, hard to play against and has offensive ability. You love to hear the first and the third. I don't care much about hard to play against because <laughs> I think it's pretty hard to play against if you're fucking skating away from you. Um, skating at lightning speed. So, I mean, is that, you know, uh, problem in doubts, or, or maybe not doubts, but uh, questions if the offense will translate at a top level particularly the playmaking. Um, but, you know, fuck Hoover. We got the we got some offensive ability. Add in a little the eye test, hard to play against. I like this pick. I don't think it's going to – I don't think they're going to fall to 21 if uh, if all these all these lovely traits are true. Uh, seems like a guy that would probably fit in the top 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corson Kuhlemans, you know, looking around. I see, you know, this defenseman. Uh, it says on last word on sports, excellent playmaker, can carry the puck through the neutral zone, creates effective zone entries, excellent vision and passing skills. Uh, this is my uh, my new pie in the sky. Hope he falls to Montreal pick. Corson Kuhlemans. You never know who's going to slide down the draft. Corson Kuhlemans. That's my guy this year. That's my dream. I pick one right. most years for Montreal. Last year was Seth Jarvis. Of course, he went three picks too early. Uh, this year... Course and Coolman's before even reading to the end of this uh, this round, I'm long overdue to have picked one. So so there it is. Excellent. You can put it on the Reddit. Start manifesting things. Um, Just like a different field. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it worked the first time. If it ain't fa- if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Look how well that worked out uh, for this playoff run. So you know, shout it out. Shout it out. Manifest it. Tell Bergevin what's up. And. Uh, Carson Kuhlman, we found our guy. Oh, God, can I read this next paragraph, please? (laughs) Written by Michael Russo. Take it away. Take it away. Zachary Bolduc. You can never have too many centermen, and even though the Wild took a couple in the first two rounds last year, getting a guy that Pronman had going at number 17 at 21 seems a good bet. Good skater, high-skilled, not a munchkin. Perfect pick. That's Zachary Bolduc to the Minnesota Wild, according to Michael Russo. It's truly there's there's so much to take in right here. Um, first of all, he mentions Corey Pronman. His name without even naming Zachary Bolzuk once it seems throughout this entire paragraph. Um, so shout out uh, the use of the word the word Munchkin is uh, elite. Um, also, it seems that they've mislabeled the pick. So they said had Pronman had going at number seventeen at twenty one. When this is pick number twenty-two, although if you want to count the Arizona, it's not yeah, one. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, they, it's shaky, but you know, 
it's inconsistent even on this article. So I don't even know what to think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it, there isn't much, but uh, not a much can kind of saves the whole thing. So good job, Russo. I don't like how this implies that being a munchkin is a bad thing for a player. Like, Cole Caulfield is a munchkin, and I mean that as That's a total true. compliment. That's true. You make That's a good point. I think, I think it's just the use of the word. Just the fact that he said it, um, you know, uh, lifts this little this little bit, this little, uh, what do we call it? A stub. That's a perfect word. This little article stub um, up a couple of notches. Even if he misuses it and completely mischaracterizes all the munchkins up there. Um, yeah, so... So that's cool. And that, that, that's what we learned about Zachary Bolzik. That's the only thing I'll remember about him. In draft day, they'll be drafting him. And I'm like, he's not a munchkin. I know for he's sure. an asshole. <laughs> not a, whereas all the other players may or may not be munchkins. I know for certain. Because Michael Russo told me so that Zachary Bolduc. This is like when you see that joke where like you see like 10 different kinds of cereal boxes. And one of them says, confirmed to not cause cancer. And none of the other ones have that on it. It's like... Hmm, maybe I'll take the one that con- is confirmed to not cause cancer, even though there's no reason to believe that any of the other ones do. Of course. Yes, I, I, I totally followed that entire analogy, analogy to the very end. Um, mean, all right. You can totally get what I'm saying, because it's like, well, I know that Zachary Balduke's not a munchkin. Is any other player a munchkin? There's no way for sure to know. And so I take Zachary Bolduc or I avoid the cereal? Yeah, the joke is, is that I, I take Zachary Bolduc because I don't want a, a potential munchkin on my team. Ah. See, but that, that makes me wonder. If somebody, if there was a box of cereal that said does not cause cancer, makes you wonder whether it causes cancer because it's a box of cereal and I assume right off the bat, you know, like C-minus analogy, I got to say. All right, I moving think, on. I think you're underrating Did it. You? Anyway. Really? Okay. We'll see. I think it, made, I think it was made perfect sense. Anyway, no, we're not doing a poll about my cereal <laughs> munchkin analogy. The, the <laughs> cancerous munchkin cereal analogy. All right. None of that. Exactly. None of that today. Okay. Next up, it's the Red Wings with Washington's pick, I'm pretty sure. Taking Nikita Chibrikov. Max Boltman says the Red Wings take a swing on a potential top six winger after Chibrikov led all 2021 draft eligibles in scoring at the U18s. According to Last Word on Sports, Chibrikov is an excellent skater, and he's a very good playmaker with excellent vision and anticipation, uh, although his attention to detail in the defensive zone could use some work. Give me that. Give me that right now. I can coach the defensive game zone. Wow, defensive zone game. Um, uh, you know, like, and I said this last year too, you know, like that, that stuff can be coached. Uh, what can't be coached is... You know, the skating, well, I, you know, to an extent, the, the, the high-end skating can't really be coached. The playmaking can't really be coached. The vision, none of that. That's all uh, that's all built in. And so when I hear that about Chibrikov, may, is there maybe, uh, is the fact that he's Russian maybe dropped him down a couple in this mock draft? Perhaps. I don't know uh, what these people are thinking. But, uh, yeah, get him. Sounds like, sounds like an all-green-flags go-to-me. Um, I don't see why I wouldn't. Got elite skater, love to hear it. Yep. Yeah, I also, along with Corson Kulamans, wouldn't mind if Montreal ended up getting Nikita Chibrikov at pick 31. Next, oh, here we have we have actual prospect guy, Scott Wheeler, making the pick Isaac Rosen for the Florida Panthers. And he actually provided some uh, some decent insight, uh, calling him uh, an up-tempo, skilled creator who can play with pace. Uh, and uh, although he did debate both Sasha Pastuyov and Oscar Olausen for this pick. 
Cool. Um, do we know anything else about Isaac Rosen? Rosen? Rosek? Rosen. I, I think Isaac. it's Rosen. Rosen. Um, let me see what uh, Pronman has to say down here. Let's see. So, I can hear Isaac Rosen hasn't around. popped yet. <laughs> uh, it's part of the charm. Uh, but exactly. He he's a he looks like a dangerous scorer at wing. Very creative with one on one play. He's got impressive speed, um, and he's got he, he can make skilled plays. And then he also uses the word pace, so that's very cool. Um, and so, yeah, I he's quote okay off the puck. That sounds like defensive stuff, and that sounds like something you can work on using your development. So, uh, I mean, dangerous score, able to play fast. I like it. Isn't this fun? Like we're going and we're like into the twenties in the draft now, and this is still you know a pretty weak draft. But we're getting to the territory where it's like, oh, here are some decent players uh, that maybe we can grow fond of. Some potential gems at the end of the first round, and now we're gonna probably have our eye on some of these guys uh, a couple nights from now. Exactly. See, if we didn't do this, maybe these names would not register at all. Like you just, I see the name on the draft, and I just my eyes go completely blank. Now, I know everything about Zachary Baldick I need to know. Uh, and it's everything. fantastic. Everything. Absolutely everything. Okay. Uh, next up, we have... Did you say? Did you have anything else to say about Isaac Rosen? Now we can move on to uh, Atu Ratty. Pick number 25. Oh, yeah. This one's fun. Yeah, this one is fun because uh, you mentioned him before. Uh, and this was a guy who was in the conversation for like first overall at certain points says this is a bit of a gamble pick for Kekalainen and it could pay big dividends Ratty slid down draft pours with a disappointing year but his collection of skills are undeniable and he plays a premium position center that is a desperate need in Columbus right so yeah whenever a guy falls this hard because really this was just like what last year right like after we did um, our draft covers last year, and we did like a touch preview. We're like, yeah, this guy's. We'll, we'll look at like Owen Power and potentially Aturati, and then all of a sudden he has an awful season. It doesn't seem to be a big injury thing. Nothing, nothing. It just seemed like he was bad, um, and so he's kind of slid down the first round. And so it really makes you wonder what is up. It seems like you know the big issue was he wasn't able to produce offensively this year, um, which makes you wonder, right? Um, what, what what changed? Uh, because especially if you're, you know, you're still in the same league, um, you kind of expect as you grow, you develop, that your performance really increases, not kind of stalls out. And so, yeah, that's that's interesting. That's that's certainly the big question: is what what the heck happened? Is was, and I tend to believe that maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe his development was kind of thrown off track. But I think uh, at heart, to be projected as the number one pick only a year in advance, um, I think that carries a uh, big time weight. And I would be very willing to take a shot at him in the mid in the in the middle of the first round. Um, here, Promet says, you know, some various scouts have varying theories on why he kind of fell off, and some think he lacks speed, some think he lacks hockey sense. Um, I can quantify one; I can't really quantify the other. So, yeah, yeah. Don't quote me on this, but I vaguely remember hearing from someone that like the pressure of being looked at as like the top prospect in the draft may have like gotten to his head. I don't know if that was like an actual inside source or if that was just some rando speculating. Uh, but either way, if that is the main concern, is it like, Oh yeah, the pressure of, you know, more eyeballs on you is kind of, you know, 
made your your play kind of stall your development kind of stall and that is kind of a major red flag when you're hoping in the first round to draft someone who's you know going to be a pretty good nhl player Mm -hmm. yeah so we'll see it's certainly like i wonder wonder if we've seen someone fall this precipitously from like in just in one year like first overall we're talking right um i like you know we've seen top 10 prospects kind of fall off injury and whatnot but this drastically without much of an explanation other than, you know, maybe the spotlight got to him. But even then, that's like major speculation, it seems. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a weird situation, which makes it that much cloudier. The fact that we haven't really seen these players play that much as much as we would in a regular season. Um, all big question marks. And this whole draft is kind of that, too. I remember in 2012 in like the uh, Bob McKenzie's like preseason draft ranking. So this would like late 2011. He ranked Nick Ebert like 10th, I think. And then at the end of the year, he ended up getting drafted with the last overall pick by uh, the LA Kings. It's a fun, who? fun fact. What's his name? Nick Ebert, who was actually tra- traded one for one for Jack Campbell in 2016 to Dallas. Fun fact. Oh, well, there we go. Looks like he panned out in a way, I guess. For the Kings. <laughs> yeah, and then they parlayed him into uh, Trevor Moore and, and company, uh, whatever else was the... Uh, the the return in that trade. So that's a great seventh round pick for the LA Kings, I have to say. So there we go. The moral of the story is take those chances because you'll end up getting Trevor Moore on your team um, or, or someone <laughs> like that. the last pick in the draft. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, wow, you really felt the last pick. That's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. All righty. Well, uh, let's see. Have anything else to say about uh, Mr. Gamble Aturati? Uh, we have... Why do we want to make it to the oh, end of the first round? Is that the plan? Oh, oh wait, I want to read this this next paragraph because it's Michael <laughs> Russo again, <laughs> and once again he cites Corey Pronman in his paragraph. All right, here's I uh, drafting center Wyatt Johnston. As I was going to go D here because the Wilds are light on D prospects, but Pronman isn't positive Bull Duke will end up being a center in the NHL, so I decided to go with another center in Johnston. The more centers, the merrier and mini, as all Wild fans know. It, like four picks ago, he was like, Promen had him at 17 and I got him at 22. And now he's like, yeah, but Promen isn't sure that he's going to end up in the NHL, so I'll take another <laughs> center instead. Uh, I respect I respect the game. I respect the game. What, <laughs> I don't know what Russo's doing here. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. It's a twofold thing. First of all, the fact that he's blatantly, you know, skimming off of Prodman's material. And second, he's very transparent about it. Like, he is, he's telling you, I, I, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm not going to try to hide and think I'm giving my own take. I'm just taking Prodman's information. And I'm saying, well, the wild like centers. Um, and so, shout out to Michael Russo. Um, this, this one's not as good. There's no word of munchkins. Um, but uh, to the, quote, the more centers, the merrier in mini, as wild as all wild fans know. Fascinating, so fascinating way to end that one. Um, I, I guess they do. I guess they. I hope they do. Um, pretty sure that's a blanket statement anywhere, but I guess in Minnesota, it rings particularly true. Yeah, because uh, they don't really have many centers these days. I guess Eric Sinek and Marco Rossi in the pipeline. But anyway, Boy Johnston is ranked number fifty-four by Last Word on Sports. Um, oh. and 
Yeah, so this this is actually is one of the guys I was like just now like I'm not so familiar with that name. I think he is probably projecting the second round uh, most of the time. But last round sports says Johnston is a very good skater, which is a phrase they seem to repeat pretty often. He plays a simple but effective offensive game, quick to get in on the forecheck and forces opposing defensemen to move the puck quickly or to be plastered into the boards. He's also strong in his own end of the rink. So this seems like, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of like a, maybe like a Ty Smolanich type from uh, last year's draft who ended up being drafted by uh, the Panthers, I think, who we, we projected in like the early mid second round and ended up falling to the third. Just feels like this kind of guy who's like, yeah, all around pretty solid micro into like a third liner. Yeah, exactly. There's not much upside here. Is there? Um, doesn't seem like he really flashes offensively. And so not a guy, especially in all like ladder first round, you can go swing for the fences. Why not? Um, don't go for someone who will, you know, four years down the road, you're like, Oh, used to be a first former first round pick. Wyatt Johnson. Now he plays 12 minutes a night on our third, fourth line, um, which, you know, very might well be the case if you take him at 26. All right, we got a brother coming up at 27. Oh Colton Doc, brother of Kirby Doc. This is Sarah Sivian's pick, uh, who did stick with Tom Dundon's promise of never drafting a defenseman in the first round because Colton Doc's a forward. Uh, reading here in, the, in her paragraph says, although it strays from their usual agenda of upside, speed, and skill, I wouldn't hate seeing them go for Colton Doc. Uh, Jordan Stahl showing no sense of slowing down, but the Canes will eventually need another big man down the middle. I don't see this Colton Doc pick making sense for Carolina with just that information because this is two drafts in a row now with uh, Don Waddell at the helm that they've gone 100% upside speed and skills. So why would they stop now? Uh, combine that with the fact that most prospect people that I've seen talk even a little bit about Colton Doc say that... Uh, yeah, don't get your hopes up by comparing him to Kirby Doc. He's not as good. The ceiling is not as high. He's probably a second-round prospect at best. Last round on sports has him ranked at number 74, so this one's a little strange. Yeah, you know, really saying, um, you know, this whole this one sentence of, the you know, kind of ex- explaining how he doesn't have as much upside, he doesn't have enough speed, he doesn't have enough skill, Really is telling on. All right, cool. Cool. So he's big and and maybe will be a shutdown center. He's not. He doesn't even have upside. What What the hell am I doing here? What am I drafting? Um. So yeah, that's 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 a hard no for me at twenty seven. Anywhere near the first round. Anywhere near the second round. What What are you doing? What are you drafting? No upside. No speed. No skill. Um. Those are like the three biggest red flags. Uh. And. So basically, she's, you know, like, although it's straight from their usual agenda, well, their usual agenda fucking works because it's smart. Um, usual agenda rocks. So, <laughs> although it strays from their smart way of thinking. Um, <laughs> Let's try. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Next yeah. up is no, uh, no, thanks, Samu Salmonen to Colorado. Uh, Salmonen. According to Peter Baugh, is a center who can score, and though his skating could use work, he likely will get selected somewhere in the range of the Avalanche's first pick. And according to Last Word on Sports, who ranked him uh, number 55, Salmon's skating is a bit of a work in progress, so it looks like uh, they're in agreement there. But Salmon is a pure goal scorer. He has an outstanding one-timer, and he's smart enough to find the soft spots in the opposing defense and set up for the shot. 
So this seems like the kind of player that uh, I probably wouldn't be too upset about maybe the Habs taking the late first round because he does seem like a pretty uh, high-end offensive talent, even though uh, he uh, has some holes in his game and his skating. And his defensive game is apparently hurt by his lack of explosive skating. Oh, okay, well, that's unfortunate. Um, and it sure doesn't sound like he's much of a, a playmaker. It sounds like his one thing is the shot. Um, you can't have too many of those guys on a team. Um, but, you know, you get a couple and they can really shoot it, rip it in the one, t- they rip those one-timers. Um, certainly an asset. And so, I mean, if his one thing is the shot, uh, it seems like we've had a handful of those guys already where, you know, their shot is really what makes them stand out. Um, you know, all for it. Goals are uh, at a premium. In hockey, in every in every era, um, so they can do it. Um, the upside's there, I guess, if he can work on skating. Next up, we have New Jersey taking the aforementioned Oscar Alausen, uh, Swedish winger, um, has decent size according to Corey Masiak, and has earned high marks for his skating and shooting abilities. Uh, so uh, that seems pretty promising, and I feel like I have seen him mock drafted and ranked significantly higher than this, like uh, in the top 20 pretty often. So uh, from the little I've gathered so far, this potentially would be a steal at number 29. Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, he's got the, he's got the traits, right? Um, yeah, especially at this point in the draft, you know, you just, you're looking for the traits that you know, like the, the, the big three as, as actually uh, that, that, that they kind of mentioned the Carolina that they said, oh, we're going to stray away from them. Well, those are the three that you kind of want, right? You want, you definitely want, at least the two of them, speed and skill. Um, definitely those two, I think, are just instrumental. Um, you really can't do without, um, because if not, it's really gone to the days where you can, like, bully people uh, off the ice, um, because that's you'll tell just that get skated the, around. Tell that to the Seattle Kraken defense corps of Adam Larson and Carson Soucy and Curtis McDermott and Jamie Alexiak. Don't let to the Habs decor, apparently, too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it doesn't work. I mean, the Habs decor stinks. Um, and so that's where we're at. Don't get guys like that. Get guys who've got the speed and skill. And honestly, you those hit rates, you know, not everybody's going to pan out, even if you have all the speed and the skill. Um, but the hit rates, I find, are, are much higher. Mm-hmm. Oscar Lawson, uh seems like last word on sports really likes him. Um, they said Alausen is an outstanding skater, and Alausen has an excellent array of shots. He can score with his wrist shot, snapshot, slap shot, one-timer, and backhand. His hands are quick, and his shots feature a quick and deceptive release. Kind of sounds like a poem. Alausen works hard in the defensive zone. He comes back and supports the defense down low against the psycho game. Alausen has the potential to be a top-six winger at the NHL level, but it's a bit of a risk. He needs to be more consistent as there are games where he is excellent and others where he seems to disappear a bit. This is the type of guy, sign me up. Sign me up for some Oscar Lawson. If, if the only concern you have about him is, uh, oh, he's a little bit inconsistent, give that to me. Yes, that that should be a, a top 20 player, maybe even higher. Forget Corson Kuhlman's out Montreal to take Oscar Lawson. I've changed my mind once again. All right, we got a whole array of picks now that we will inevitably dis- be disappointed by when they take When Montreal Colton takes Doc. Colton Dock. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we're manifesting it into existence. This is a tragedy. <laughs> this is a tragedy. What do we think is going to happen? Oh, no. God damn it. This is terrible. Anyways, uh, 
Yeah, this is, and this is this is only good. This is gonna happen in forty less than forty eight hours. How exciting is that? Um, Colton Doc for the Habs. All right. Next up, we have uh, Xavier Borgo, and uh, so Jesse Granger talks about how he is a quote pure playmaker, um, and so he's, he's got you know he's big on the vision, passing ability, and he's got a nice wrist shot, and so that sounds very cool. Now the reason why he's all the way down here at thirty um, questions about his skating and defense. One concerns me more than the other, but um, in turn, like you know, he's got the skill, he's got the playmaking ability, and he's got he's got the thing, right? Like he's got the thing that sets him apart. And so, uh, it sounds like offensive upside to me. And if you know the skating is not there, um, the the, the playmaking certainly helps a shit ton. Mm-hmm. I'm always kind of wary when I see someone you know uh, criticize a player's skating because. I find that is almost always an eye test thing, and that can be deceptive when a player has like a stride that looks a little bit different. So that is the type of thing I like to cross-reference with last word on sports, uh, or literally any other source. Uh, all would also work fine. Like we even saw it with Cole Sillinger before, where whoever wrote on the Athletic was like defensive game weak, and then last word on sports was like defensive game strong. Uh, so I'm looking at the skating right now. They say Burgor skating is hit and miss. His first few steps and acceleration are good. He also has good top end speed when moving in a straight line. He wins races to lose pucks, gets in quick on the forecheck, and moves well through the neutral zone. However, <laughs> Burgo needs to work on his edge work and agility. He loses speed when changing directions or moving laterally. So that is a, a much more thorough description rather than just uh, the biggest question is his skating. Or something like that. Uh, but here we go. His, his game is defined by his outstanding work ethic. So uh, maybe that's potentially a red flag too. When that's what defines your game. Is that you try really hard. Because you know as we've mentioned before. You kind of hope that everyone works hard. But I do imagine he's going to probably end up going around this range. Okay. Alright next up we got the Habs pick. Uh, courtesy of our pro Basu. Um, and he starts it off with a. Uh, a banger of a sentence. It is a bit of a trope for the Canadians to be taking a Quebec kid and hoping he pans out. Is that your uh, then, impression? Yeah, I have never heard him talk. Um, so I just assume he talks like that. Um, somebody's, <clears throat> somebody hit me with a grade um, if you have indeed heard Arpon Basu talk. Um, but uh, yeah, so it sounds like he, his, the traits that, that he, he mentions are his quote, competitiveness. And that's it. So, you know, what is what is last word on sports, last word on hockey, have to say about Zachary Larreur, aside from his, quote, competitiveness? Uh, I think it would be probably a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's more promising here because it says Larreur is a pure goal scorer. He has an excellent wrist Ooh. shot and a quick release. Um, and this year with the Halifax Mooseheads, he scored 19 goals and 20 assists for 39 points in 33 games, which is not too bad for a late first round pick. Uh, and for whatever reason, probably the Quebecois thing has something to do with it. And the fact that, you know, they're talking like, oh, if Dano's going to be gone, if Joanne's going to be gone, there's going to be no Quebecois on the Canadians the first time like ever. Unbelievable uh, that I've seen him mock drafted him. Uh, I've seen him mock drafted to Montreal a lot. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, Craig Button mock drafted him to Montreal too because I uh, briefly had on like the TSN mock draft and I heard him pronounce this uh, Laharu. So uh, it's a little bit of a 
I don't know, Craig Button trying to pronounce French names. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so, I mean, so what you, from what you tell me, that sounds like a fine pick uh, if the Habs do end up going that route at 31. Um, cool. All right, 32, we have the Columbus Blue Jackets drafting uh, on behalf of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, we have Samu Tomala. On behalf? Um, you mean just with their pick? Well, yeah, that's what I meant. You know, same thing. Potato, potato. Um, teams got to send up other teams to make their picks for them. That'd be fun if Mark Berger. That'd be a lot of fun. Minnesota Wild select, <laughs> not a Munchkin, Zachary Bolduke. I think it'd make for great TV, personally. So maybe sure. this is one of my better ideas. Um, so uh, yeah, this guy, this guy. Uh, let's see what is he, what has he got? Um, he, he had a point of game season in the junior leagues in Finland, and then. Was good in the U18s, and so let's let's see. His skill is undeniable. undeniable. A crafty, quick, creative player um, who looks like a future NHL power play threat. That's very nice. Um, and Pronman talks about how he's an excellent skater. Um, he can transition pucks and dart around the offensive zone. Has the skill. Yeah, sounds uh sounds like my kind of guy. And if the Columbus Blue Jackets get him at thirty two, that sounds like a steal. All right, so now it looks like we know at least something about 31 prospects. Actually, 30, because we still know nothing about a Brennan Othman. Uh, but we know at least something about 30 draft-eligible players for the draft two days from now, which is pretty nice. Um, of course, this is not exactly how the draft will shake out. So there will be at least a few players drafted in the first round, probably more than a few, especially this year, probably like, I guess at least six or seven, maybe more players drafted in the first round on Friday that uh, we haven't talked about. Uh, Corey Pronman did an audit here. It says one critique I would make of our writers is how few defensemen got picked with only six going in the top 32, which seems unrealistic. I would expect Danil Cheka to very likely go day one with Shai Buyum, Kirill Kursanov, and Stanislav Svozil as strong possibilities to be first-rounders, and Olin Zellweger, Evan Noss, and Jack Pert having outside chances, too. So uh, there are some more names that we have now heard of. Very good. Good job. Um, we're, just, we're just boosting our stats here in terms of <laughs> draft prospects mentioned. We can add them to the list if we end up doing a final tally. Um, so yeah, that's that's. that's uh, I am certainly more knowledgeable now, having read so much about you know the prospects uh, and the wonderful shout out to the athletic um, for unwillingly uh, giving us the content to use here. Uh, and yeah, yeah any any final thoughts? Thanks to you too. Oh, of course. Uh, Big shout out. Yeah, my final thought uh, is that Montreal is indeed going to draft. French Canadian left winger Zachary Laharue with their pick. That's my official prediction. All right. And uh, what's the over under on uh, the number of Colton Docks that are drafted? Do we, so or do you, if I said that 0. 0.5, you're taking the over or the under? For the first round? Yeah. I'm taking the under. I think he'll end up getting All into right. round two. All right. If he does end up hitting the round one, that team will be the laughing stock of round one. All right, we've decided it. Um, barring any other major reach for a prospect we've never any, heard of, you know, such as like there were two last year. Barring any Shakirs or Igor Chinikovs, right? Um, barring any of those, there will um, be Colton Doc. What's that? Yeah, oh, of course. Especially this year. Are you kidding me? With the, with the draft, the way the draft, uh, 
scouting is going to be. Um, oh, yeah, I can't wait. And, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It's been uh, going into a draft with this little preparation. Um, certainly makes for uh, a lot of blank stares, I'm sure, on my end. Um, but uh, I'll get to, yeah. dig, get to dig deep afterwards. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to just live the life of uh, the hockey fan who knows very baseline information about prospects pretending to uh, have the ultimate say on whether a draft pick was good or not. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Why would you take right, a, someone who's who's a munchkin in the top 15? <laughs> right of your mind. Munchkins don't belong. They don't belong in the top 15. Top 30 at best. Um, so... <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be watching out for your uh, Zach Balzuk rant on Twitter. Um, oh, yes, inevitably coming. All right, I can't uh-huh. wait. Um, okay, all right. Um, I think that's it. Unless there's any other final topics we want to hit before we call it a a day. I think that's it. We'll probably be back on Sunday after the draft is all done, and after we assume there will be a number of trades that have gone down, and Ooh. we will recap all that. And then probably get back to like a normal Sunday schedule. And the next one after that will be a recap of the first couple of days of free agency where hopefully there will have been uh, some activity. Oh, are you going to say anything? No. Oh. Or was that my sign up? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, this has been a very clunky ending to uh, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. <laughs>